Welcome to the Big Fundamental Podcast, a Kins 5 podcast on your NBA Spurs and NBA basketball in general. I'm Jackson Floyd. I'm Cameron Songer. And Cameron, it's been a minute. Uh, <laughs> you know, the part of that goes with the fact that, you know, we're in the offseason. This is kind of that lull where there isn't anything happening. And I think I think the line is the NBA isn't a 12-month-a-year 12 uh, 12 month league. It's more of like a 10-and-a-half-month a year and obviously they're not playing games all that time that refers to the you know the news cycle but we're in that off period right now for sure i hope you found something uh, fruitful and productive to do with your uh, month and a half away from the nba here but that's not what we're here to talk about not at all uh we're, we're in the present these days and uh, presently team usa is in australia prepping for the fiba world cup um and this is a uh, kind of a team that has a lot of question marks around it and one of those question marks is spurs related Derek white is one of the 13 guys in Australia, they can only take 12 to the FIBA World Cup, and the questions seem to be, is he going to make the roster here? Somebody's going to, to get cut, and it's, that's going to be really hard because you're you know, number 13 on a team of 12. I'm interested to see. I think on paper, Derek White is probably the least household name out of all of these guys, but Coach Pop is the head coach. He's the one who's making the decision at the end of the day. This is his first go-around as the leader of Team USA. He, he's been with... Uh, the program, while Mike Krzyzewski was the head coach, uh, has a couple Olympic medals to his name, but this is his first time as the head coach, and you wonder if he might want to have just a little bit more familiarity having a guy who he knows gets him a little bit more because he's worked with him during the regular season for a couple of years now. For sure, and he's a guy that's garnered a lot of praise throughout the whole process here, kind of making it from the practice squad, the select team, being called up to this what was originally a 15-man roster, and they thought we're going to have to pare it down to 12. A lot of people have been dropping off. It's kind of been the headlines with this whole tournament, but USA specifically has uh, been affected by that. You've seen the big stars all kind of withdraw. And then even more surprising, in the last week, as the team is heading to Australia, Sacramento Kings guard De'Aaron Fox pulls his name from contention as well. That means that Derek White is man number 13, maybe man number 12 on a 12-man roster. Looking at this roster, is there another name that you would say might be on the cusp on that bubble? Yeah, I think as you go down the list, let's sort of do process of elimination almost and say who's definitely uh, safe. Kemba Walker is probably the best player on the team. He's safe. Brooke Lopez is a center. His game fits the international game super well. I think he's safe. Harrison Barnes has previous Team USA experience with that last Olympic team. I think he's safe. Donovan Mitchell, I think. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a. I think he's my breakout star candidate. Uh, a lot of people aren't really familiar with his game if you're not really watching a ton of Utah Jazz basketball. But he had that rookie breakout season uh, two NBA seasons ago. Now his name is known, but I think he's. this is the year he probably takes that next step. We can get into that a little bit more. But yeah, he's, he's the starting two guard or, or uh, at the three perhaps. Chris Middleton is probably going to make it. You need a little bit more depth in size-wise. So I think Kyle Kuzma, Mason Plumlee, Miles Turner are on the roster. What it comes down to really for that, you know, these 11th, 12th, and then who's going to be 13 and left home, Derek White, Marcus Smart, Joe Harris, Jalen Brown, I think are sort of these guys who Mm -hmm. are probably fighting for that spot. In my opinion, I think Derek White makes the cut because of the Popovich connection and really just that. I agree, and I think just the the meteoric rise he's had as kind of being a guy making headlines and performing the best throughout the process, I think, plays in his favor as well. Yeah, the core of this team seems to be four Celtics that are on this 12-man roster. You're looking at Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and, of course, the new guy, Kimba Walker. 
all are probably going to factor into this. Jalen Brown's a bubble guy. I think maybe Marcus Smart might be a bubble guy, but I don't know I, if his game translates, but he he's a, one of the best defenders on the team for sure. Yeah, I think the when you're getting back into Derek White here just for a second, is that where do you, what do you think about Marcus Smart and what do you think about how many point guards do you need? Kemba, White is your, or Kemba Walker is your starting point guard, mm. but other than Derek White and Marcus Smart, there's really no one else on that roster who is a ball-handling guard. And there's really not a guy who you think about as a even a ball handling forward. Maybe Kyle Kuzma. He, not really. Yeah. He's used to playing off the ball with LeBron now. Donovan Mitchell has the ball in his hands quite a bit, but has always had another playmaker with him in his two seasons in the NBA. Harrison Barnes can do some stuff with the ball in his hands, but that's never been his his forte. So really, you think you probably want both Smart and White, just in case anything happens to Kemba Walker. Otherwise, you don't have a point guard on this team. You don't. I mean. I, I would de- classify Derek White as a point guard slash shooting guard, and same thing with Marcus Smart. I think you kind of need both of them to combine to have a backup point guard. I agree. I mean, he's listed as guard on the roster, but he has proven himself to be a ball handler in the last year with the Spurs. And yeah, you need someone who can kind of make the break, start the transition, kind of make, kind of be the guy who's starting your plays too. And he knows Pop's plays, so he, he's got a year in that kind of playbook. Not that Pop is using the same. Spurs I would hope playbook. not. Oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, hey, yeah. everybody, these are the plays. Go ahead and you know take them home to your whatever ten other NBA franchises. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, going back to those four Celtics. There, yeah. I mean, what does that mean for Boston? I mean, this is a team last year that was the Kyrie Irving circus um, and there was a lot of bad blood in that roster. I think this might give them a chance to gel along with their new guy in Kimball there. But I mean, these are four guys who are playing a lot of extra basketball for a World Cup here. What does it mean for their NBA season? Yeah, so the Celtics did reach the second round of the NBA playoffs, but were bounced pretty quickly. So they've had a little bit of time off. And we've seen sort of these young Celtics, especially uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They they were on that run back in uh, 2018 when they were just a couple bounces away from possibly making the NBA Finals in that season where Kyrie was out injured. So there's good chemistry between those two. Marcus Smart was part of that team as well. But now you're adding in Kemba Walker, and that's a big piece to try to integrate. He's never had teammates this good in his NBA career, unless you count the time he's in the All-Star game. But this opportunity for them could be great. It could be an absolute springboard for them. They're, you know, they are coming in firing on all cylinders. They've been, they come into the preseason, start of the regular season, having already played some good competition together, battle tested, and spent a lot of time together as well at the hotel, traveling, whatever. The flip side of that is their legs are tired. Maybe there's some bumps and bruises. You hope there's nothing more serious than that in terms of an injury that could cause them to miss significant time to start the NBA season. So there's pluses and minuses. If I had to predict, I think it's probably the former. I think they're these are young guys. They're used to playing a lot of basketball. This is higher level than you know the AAU circuit, which even for guys like Brown and Tatum, who are a couple years into the league now, it's not they're not that far removed from that. They're still in their early 20s. So yeah, they're used to playing a lot of basketball and starting to build that teammate chemistry can only be a good thing. Yeah, especially if you were in such a dire situation last year where team chemistry was kind of the, the crutch that, that in, inhibited you from reaching success that a lot of people were predicting you to get to. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm on the same page with you. I think this is a plus here. Um, I do think there might be a little fatigue, as you're saying, as the, the, as the um, year transitions, the year continues. But, I mean, the Spurs have seen this in the last year. You bring in a new piece, it can take some time for that to gel. I know everyone's saying, oh, tomorrow, like, wait till year two because tomorrow's going to really be clicking here. Anytime you can start getting your core working with the new guy, working with a new star, playing with him, 
that's got to be a good thing. Now, the headlines surrounding this team as we, we kind of talked through the you think Kimba's going to be one of the bigger stars. Donovan Mitchell is a breakout player. Those aren't your A-list guys. And the headlines kind of are swirling around that. Is this the worst team that we've seen in the field? Is this the worst Team USA we've seen uh, fielded here? I don't think that's going to translate to to failure in the FIBA World Cup. And I don't even know how you define failure in the World Cup. They're in a group right now um, with the Czech Republic, with Japan, and with Turkey. Uh, we're talking about the the stars who aren't playing with uh Playing for a team, you say, this is still a roster full of NBA players. Every single one of these guys starts in the NBA. Uh, in, in the group of the field that they're playing with, they're playing against Rui Hachimura for Japan. That's their NBA player. Irvan Ilyasova for Turkey. And the Czech Republic, there's some guys who are, who are on the cusp of making NBA teams. So this is still a pretty deep team. Do you think, I mean, th- this is going to be a successful thing. They're going to be in the, the final, the quarterfinals at the very least, right? Yeah, I mean, anything short of winning is a failure for Team USA. That's the way it is in all international competitions. And as I looked at that group stage, I was actually hoping that they would have a, a tougher group because you can lose a game in the group stage and still be okay. Now, if they lose an exhibition game, they're playing a handful of these exhibition games against Australia. They also play Canada once uh, before things switch on to real mode. You hope, you almost hope that they're in a close game or even take an L before it gets into lose and you're out, and then you know it's a it's a it's a catastrophe meltdown, big failure. Those tough games are coming. And these other countries, they're in a similar situation with USA. USA doesn't exist in a vacuum. Key NBA players across the world are deciding to sit this one out. Giannis Antetokounmpo is not playing for Greece. And that he is he is Greece basketball right now. So yeah, they're not alone in the situation. But yeah, this is a, this is a win or, or it's a failure for Team USA. And... Coach Pop has a lot on the line here. Yeah, I mean, he, this is his first chance commandeering this Team USA team, as you were mentioning. And, I mean, we've seen – I mean, it kind of reminds me of when Tim Duncan got his chance to play for Team USA in the Olympics, and that was the team that went on to win a bronze medal, uh, was considered the biggest failure on the international stage for Team USA because they'd never faced that kind of adversity. And, of course, he lost to Manu Ginobili in Argentina that year. Um, so, I mean, this is a big stage for Pop to finally get this chance at 70, and he's not going to get the chance to do this very long, obviously. He'll be there for the Olympics in 2020. Um, but, yeah, it'd be great for, to see him kind of succeed on that. You're mentioning other teams kind of facing that. I brought up uh, Canada's roster, just for instance. Jamal Murray, Andrew Wickens, R.J. Barrett, Tristan Thompson, Shai Gilgis-Alexander. These are all guys that have pulled out for Team Canada, too. It's, it's an international thing. Uh, fun note, though, Nick Nurse is coaching Team Canada, so he's probably the second best coach in this group here, uh, although he does lack that kind of international experience. Um, some teams that kind of stand out to me as teams that could present problems for Team USA as you get closer to a quarterfinal or semifinal match, I honestly think Serbia might be the favorites here. Nikola Jokic is probably the most talented player left in this grouping, um, and of course they can also play five NBA starters or five NBA players at the same time or they could feature a lineup that features uh, Boban Marjanovic and Nikola Jokic on the floor at the same time and just go super tall yes. and no other team can match that so yes uh, other teams that kind of stand out to me are Spain Spain has Marcus Gasol who is one of the greatest international players of all time France has Nick Batum has Rudy Gobert has uh, um, a handful of other guys on that team Evan Fournier is on that team um, these are guys with NBA talents but again no one else has 12 so yeah it 
what you brought up the 2004 team with Tim Duncan, and I want to go back to that really quick because that was a team that had a lot of guys who had the name recognition. Tim Duncan, I think Allen Iverson, Allen Iverson was, on, yeah. was on that team. A young, Brand, the I young think, LeBron yeah. James. They had poor chemistry. They did not get along, and it really showed on the floor. This is a team that I think is actually built pretty well for the international game, where there's an emphasis on dribbling, passing, and shooting. You know, it's a very fundamental game. It moves pretty quick, and you it's not a slow, muscly, pounding game. And there's a real emphasis on team basketball. I think everybody on this team, on this or on this 13-man roster that will become a 12-man roster, fits pretty well in the international game. So it, I think it also helps that you might potentially have four guys from the same team being able to be on the floor at the same time. And these guys know each other. They've played together. I think it also helps that maybe there's not that super-duper star. There's not going to be guys fighting for ego and fighting for touches, guys checking their stats to see how many points they have to make sure they're the leading scorer. I think this team is going to be well-suited for that, and Coach Pop also is not going to put up with any nonsense. You also have to kind of chalk up the nobody believes in us kind of storyline. I mean, this is a team that's going to gel around that, kind of having those headlines to kind of push them towards that. And, of course, Pop, yeah, is one of the greatest coaches of all time, if not the greatest, and... I, I, I want to see if he'll have this team shooting three-pointers, though. <laughs> not a big fan of three-pointers, but they're going to have to shoot it, and they've got some shooters here. So. I think it's a shorter line in FIBA, too, than, than in the NBA. Just tell them they're long twos, yeah. <laughs> he'll be fine. Yeah, he'll be fine. The, the one note is that no team has ever uh, three-peated in the history of the FIBA World Cup, which is now 69 years. Uh, team USA has won the last two, uh, 2010 and 2014 are the last two in the FIBA World Cup. They skipped to the 2018 to do some restructuring. So this will be a chance for USA to go three in a row. It's never been done before, but I think if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be the United States. And they went undefeated the last time in 2014, Kyrie Irving, the MVP that year, and they beat uh, Serbia in the finals. Uh, Of course, the whole FIBA World Cup gets underway. Uh, August 31st, I think it's the first game, or the first game of the tournament. USA's first game is September 1st against the Czech Republic. The finals will be September 15th, and then just 15 days later, NBA preseason begins. It's a short turnaround. It's a really short turnaround. Team USA, they do have a couple of exhibition games uh, in Australia. They're all at terrible times for United States fans. So <laughs> unless you're staying up until 3 a.m., 5 a.m. to watch uh, USA-Australia, you're just going to catch the replays at some point. Uh, USA plays Australia on Thursday night, Saturday, and, uh, and then they play Canada on Monday. Uh, the cool thing about these exhibition games is that it's in a, one of those retractable roof stadiums Open in Australia. No, I think they'll have the dome oh, over okay. it. <laughs> but it's called Marvel Stadium after Ooh. the comic books. Uh, it's one of the big uh, multi-purpose stadiums, mostly for Australian rules football. But they'll, they'll they'll toss a basketball court in there, and that those could be a really lively, fun games. Especially uh, you're thinking about a Saturday night USA versus Australia. It'll be the second time those two teams have played. There might be some bad blood. That's going to be a hot ticket. Maybe thirty, forty, fifty thousand fans at a basketball game. Talk about, you know, testing yourself against a good team in a tough environment. That'll be tougher than anything Team USA sees for another couple weeks. And we'll see uh, some of the Spurs family there, too. Patty Mills, Aaron Baines, and the Australia team. That could be a lot of fun. Now let's transition here and talk about the NBA. Of course, like we said, preseason begins September 30th for the Rockets, October 4th for everyone else. Uh, and we know the Spurs' schedule, who they're going to be playing. Uh, they're opening up the season against the New York Knicks here in San Antonio, and that means Marcus Morris is in the building. That's going to be a great game. I I had already 
in my head knew I was going to circle whichever game the Spurs had the Knicks. First of all, because the Knicks beat the Spurs one out of the two games last year. Uh, So there's some revenge for San Antonio. But the fact that it's now also the Marcus Morris game, throw in the fact that it's opening night, which always adds to the the atmosphere in San Antonio, that's going to be a fun game. It's not the NBA's opening night. I think the NBA's first slate of games is the night before. That's true, yeah. But, yeah, October 23rd, I think it's the Friday in San Antonio, I want to say. Home game, season opener, and yeah, the, the booze will be out in force for Marcus Morris and the New York Knicks. The preseason slate, I don't think really inspires too much. You do get Zion Williamson coming for one of those preseason games, but preseason games at the AT&T Center are not, not the same as a regular season game. Now, we've talked a lot on this podcast about how this is going to be a wide-open NBA, um, and I think looking at this Spurs schedule, you think, man, there's a lot of tough runs here. I think a lot of these teams are going to face tough runs. What are some of the games on the opposite spectrum there? What are the gimme games, would you call them? Yeah, so you look at some of these teams that have been in the bottom of the standings and are expected to do kind of poorly this upcoming season. They're pretty much all Eastern Conference teams, which means the Spurs only play them twice as opposed to three or four times, just because the West is now not only so top-heavy, but it's so deep. Uh, So we mentioned the Knicks game on October 23rd. That's a home game. You really hope the Spurs come out on the right foot and win that game. (laughs) Start Uh, the season 1-0. The return trip uh, to face the Knicks is November 23rd. So that's it. Then after that, they don't play the Knicks anymore the rest of the season. The games against the Bulls, who are another pretty bad team last Mm -hmm. year, March 20th and January 27th. They take on Charlotte at home on February 1st, which is the last game before the rodeo road trip. So you, we'll get to that in a second as well. So you expect you expect that's going to be a home win. And then the trip to Charlotte is on March 3rd. That trip also includes a game against Cleveland, who should be another team that's probably fighting for lottery position, especially at that point in the year. But my point with that is last season, the end of the season schedule was pretty easy. The Spurs were able to really bolster their position, make a late push to move up in the standings a little bit. They ended up with the seven seed, but it could have been a little bit higher. It also could have been worse if the schedule had shaken out another way. This year, it's no such thing. Really, the uh, back half of the schedule, the back 10, is nuts. We'll get to that in a second. The easy games are kind of sprinkled throughout and actually are kind of at the beginning. So if we get to mid-December and the Spurs are sort of floundering, oh boy. Yeah, I mean, that'll kind of tell us how the playoff position, this is a team that has been kind of written off at some point in time. This is the year they don't make the playoffs. They're going to be pushing for one of those kind of last seeds is kind of how Vegas is kind of predicting it um so if they can get off to an early hot start that's good news if not again it could be a struggle the rest of the way there now you're talking about tough stretches last year's rodeo road trip was not good for the Spurs they uh, only I think got two wins off that trip there um and this is another one that could present some problems here coming up yeah last year's rodeo road trip was the worst in Spurs history since they've been doing this since they moved into the AT&T Center mm-hmm. that's that's a long history now This year's Rodeo Road Trip is brutal. They play both LA teams to start, Clippers and Lakers. Then they go to Portland, then Sacramento, then Denver, then OKC. Those could be the teams that are the top four seeds in the West in some order, plus OKC. At that point in the season, you don't know where they're going to be with Chris Paul, but... That's a, you know, that's a brutal stretch right there. Yeah, I mean, those are all teams, at the very least, that are going to be making playoff pushes. They're going to be in that kind of playoff hunt there. So getting wins on that road trip could mean 
could speak volumes to where the Spurs could stand by the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, really, you just avoid Utah there, but otherwise, both LA teams, Portland, Sacramento was right on the cusp. Mm-hmm. Uh, Denver was really good. Portland was, you know, a conference finalist, and Denver was the two seed. So then, then there's that Oklahoma City game. Then they come home for the All Star break. Then they go to Utah, and then back to OKC again. Uh, what's an important note, though, is that the trade deadline happens during this trip, and it's on February seventh. That's between the Portland and Sacramento mm-hmm. games. So. They could be facing some teams that have some activity around the trade deadline, guys coming in, guys coming out. Maybe they're not at full strength. They're incorporating new pieces. You could also see OKC, depending on where they're at, maybe make a big move, really unload some guys, and they could be not the team that we're expecting. Because right now, on paper, OKC could be a, a fringe playoff team maybe just a little bit behind the Spurs, but also right there. And if they have a good start to the season, they decide to roll with the team that they have rather than sell everybody off two games in their place in the span of about a week that's tough that is tough all these games might present issues for the Spurs here and of course there's a lot to be said about how things are going to unfold like that it feels like a prolonged road trip this year because of that all-star break in the middle there and I think it's going to stretch four weeks between Spurs home games now um but yeah I mean that's the way it is that's the way it happens with the rodeo and by this time I think all of the players who are here are used to that I think DeRozan had a poor start to his rodeo road trip and that kind of comes into first time experiencing something like that where you were playing 10 games on the road here and I think the second year of that you see players kind of adjust and get used to what you have to do and how you have to gel and that's also a time when the team kind of comes together and gels because they're on the road they're on the road for four weeks and they're spending all their time with them Um, and then kind of to end the season there like you said it's going to be a tough stretch Um, I mean Last year it was easy. This year, in the last games here, two games are against Golden State. Sacramento, as we mentioned, might be in that playoff hunt. They were last year. Houston, which is going to be a juggernaut this year. New Orleans, Philly, Indiana. These are all playoff teams. Oh, yeah. Those last 10, save for maybe New Orleans getting to, you know, where they're, if they're on the way out, maybe try to uh, rest Zion Williamson or rest some of their other guys if they're on the way out. Philly and Indiana, depending on how soft the East ends up getting, they might be already locked into their spots. But Golden State, Sacramento, Houston, that's six of your last 10 at between those three teams. And the Spurs could be battling them for a playoff spot or trying to figure out exactly where the, that matchup is going to be. Could end up seeing a preview of the first round playoff series late in the season. Those are always fun to see those late in the year. And uh, it keeps things interesting. Hopefully, the Spurs are still in the hunt at that point. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that is kind of an if right now. I think it's an if more than it is a win uh, as, as terms of playoffs. But, I mean, it's a team that's going to be tested. Uh, they're going to be kind of playoff ready by then. I think that the playoffs tend to start early when you kind of have these these games against top talented teams like that. I think the playoffs in the West start right after the All-Star break. <laughs> Probably, as teams are kind of gearing up and on fire in all cylinders. I think Popovich likes that. I think Pop would rather have that than the coast into the playoffs. And maybe that's kind of they didn't have a success in the first round last year maybe that speaks differently this year if they if they make that point there uh now I think one of the big questions on the schedule is when does Kawhi come back when do we see Kawhi Leonard and Paul George I guess the new kings of LA if you will (laughs) um when are they coming to the building yeah I'm super interested beyond Marcus Morris I'm super interested the only other player I think who is going to have a really interesting reaction from fans is Kawhi Leonard because it's been a year now He's done what he did in Toronto. The fact that he left, and we've talked about this before, the fact that he left Toronto even though he was the finals MVP and won a championship, I think maybe softens the blow a little bit for mm-hmm. Spurs fans. The fact that you know they couldn't have done anything to keep him happy. He was always going to go to L.A. 
The Clippers do come to San Antonio twice, on November 29th and December 21st. That first one is Black Friday, by the way. Oh. <laughs> oh, really? Day after Thanksgiving. Uh, so people will be um, full of turkey and maybe full of uh, some emotions as well. <laughs> uh, they will be in their feelings at the AT&T Center. Uh, the other kings of L.A., because you, you already anointed uh, <laughs> Kawhi and PG-13, LeBron and AD, uh, their visits are early. They're both in November, November 3rd and November 25th. There you go. So, I mean, at least we're going to see some talent here in November. Uh, Celtics, I think, are coming November 9th. Golden State, we mentioned two of the games in the last 10, but they will be here on New Year's Eve and April 3rd. And I'm excited. I've never seen them in person. I'm going to try to get to this game. Giannis Antetokounmpo is in the building January 6th. That's exciting. That's that's a marquee player right there. That might be the top name on the list. Yeah, a lot of... Big names obviously come to San Antonio every year, but that, this is an interesting breakdown. Zion Williams and the Pelicans, though, they don't actually come to San Antonio for a regular season game until April, which wow. is really strange for a division rival. Yeah. But they do have that preseason game here at the AT&T Center. So if you're really itching to see Zion Williams and see what all the hype is about, that preseason ticket might actually, as we get closer to that big day, could start going up a little bit as people start to look at the schedule realize you don't know what's going to happen over the course of the season. And if the Pelicans are out of the playoffs, we're starting to see it more and more now with teams where they start to shut their guys down. Zion Williamson might not play a regular season game in San Antonio this year unless the Pelicans are in the hunt. Yeah, and he's already had a few health concerns going into the season too. So that might be something to kind of keep an eye on there. And now if you're not paying these big ticket, uh, ticket big prices to go to some of the games, you're going to see them on national TV 12 times. That's a little low in comparison to the rest of the league here. I know the Lakers are on 41 or 42 times by comparison. Yeah, the Spurs for a while now haven't been a big TV draw Going back to even their championship run in 2014, they were in the NBA Finals in 2013, they had this sort of reputation, this stigma, that it wasn't like sexy basketball. It wasn't fun. It was kind of a grind, and they didn't have these stars who were very marketable. It was the aging big three, and we're tired of them. And there were so many other interesting storylines around LeBron and who's going to dethrone him that the Spurs, I think, have sort of always been overlooked in the last decade at least in terms of national TV games, but they're really, we talked about how it's the schedule is kind of backloaded this year. The national TV schedule is especially true for San Antonio. Only two of their national TV games, there are 12 of them, only two of them are before February. Hmm. So the last 10 are in February, March, and April. The first time we'll see the Spurs on national TV is November 22nd. ESPN has their game in Philadelphia against the Sixers. And then we mentioned they play the Sixers again late in the year. That I think that's one where it's a, it could be a flex game, uh, Sixers at Spurs in mid to late April. Yeah. Now, of course, that's the national TV. You can catch any of the games on Fox Sports Southwest. And, of course, Ken's 5 picks up a handful of the games. That schedule hasn't been announced yet, but well, as soon as it is, you can find it on kens5.com. Now, another notable game to circle on your calendar here, looking forward to the schedule, November 11th. That's the day the Spurs have said they're going to retire Tony Parker's jersey, the jersey retirement ceremony for the last member of the Big Three to retire, November 11th against the Memphis Grizzlies. That'll be a night. That That's always an emotional thing, and we saw it now twice with Tim Duncan and Manu Ginobili these last few years. It's going to be something now to see those three guys, plus Coach Pop, all in the same place. Pop and Tim now obviously officially Spurs employees, Tim with the as, as an assistant coach, uh, but Manu's around. He's been around this, out, of, out of his first year out of retirement, and now Tony. You hope that he's going to stay around. You know he's going to be involved with uh, some 
uh, some company uh, company here in San Antonio doing some sports uh, tangential things, but yeah. stepping away from the NBA a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's going to be too many times we see them on the on a court together again. Obviously, I think when Popovich retires, there'll be a retirement ceremony, and you're going to see these guys plus many more of the Spurs family uh, in town for that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, Duncan will be here, Ginobili will be around, Park will be in town, but to see them on the court again is pretty special. I'm interested to see if there's any sort of reaction or response as Parker is the only guy to leave the Spurs from this big three to leave the Spurs and then come back for a Jersey retirement ceremony. Not able to retire a Spur. I don't think that sours the mood though. No, he's such a big part of this franchise and has meant so much to this team in this city. It's a little bit different though. I think if you're going and ranking the guys in the big three in terms of their connection with the fans, I think Tim and, and Manu are definitely 1A and 1B, and then Tony's a little bit behind them. So that's not to say that fans here don't love Tony Parker. They love Tony Parker. You still see plenty of Tony Parker jerseys at Spurs games. Just a little different. And it'll still be tears. It'll still be a great reaction. It'll still be a sellout, a mem- very memorable night at the AT&T Center. But maybe also a little bit of fatigue. Like, hey, we've, we've done a couple of these jersey retirement ceremonies. Now we know what to expect. And it maybe loses its luster a little bit. Not that it should. I don't think it should at all. But it's just a, it's a victim of the circumstances being the, the third guy to retire out of that very special group. Yeah. And I think, you know, you mentioned fatigue. I don't know if there's a guy after him for a while. So yeah. this might be it. They'll probably do something for Popovich when he retires. But other than that, is there a Spurs player on from the last 10 years that gets his jersey up there? Maybe Patty Mills is the guy. Patty Mills would have here? to play another 10 years mm. and probably win the championship. And then you could you could talk about having you could maybe have that conversation, but having your jersey retired is is a superstar kind of honor. And no disrespect to Patty Mills, he's not he's not in that class of NBA players, and he, he hasn't been in his career. He has had a very successful NBA career, made a lot of money, has a lot of fans, but I don't think he's going to get his jersey retired. I don't think yeah. he should have his jersey retired. It remains to be seen what happens when Kawhi Leonard retires, but as a finalist MVP here for a great uh, for the first six years of his career, seven years of his career, he's a superstar. I mean, that uh, that is a conversation that hopefully we don't have to have for a long time because yeah. you hope Kawhi Leonard is able to stay healthy and stay and stays in the NBA for a long time because that's going to be a really difficult conversation to have. I know there was a pretty big backlash around the Golden State Warriors when they decided that they were going to retire Kevin Durant's jersey. He only won finals MVP twice, but he was only there for three years. So is it about the accolades? Is it about the length of time you played with the team? Is it about the way you left? Is it some combination of the three? How do you weight those different accomplishments or potential problems? I think there would be way too much of a negative reaction from Spurs fans if there was a decision to retire Kawhi Leonard's jersey, unless for some reason he ended up playing for the team again Mm -hmm. and things went really well. It could be DeJounte Murray. (laughs) The book's not written there yet. There's Um, still a lot of writing to be done in his book. (laughs) Now, um, a jersey that's not going to be retired by the Lakers anytime soon is Dwight Howard, infamous in L.A. for his one year there uh, in which he lost the Spurs in the first round of the playoffs and actually left the court by the first half, after two flagrant fouls, two technical fouls, ejected from the game. But he might be back in L.A. Uh, the Lakers, of course, lost a big player uh, before the, the season started in Boogie Cousins. Terrace's ACL, that might be all they wrote for Boogie. Um, he might come back, we'll see. But they're looking at center options out there, and Dwight Howard's one of the names that's been tossed around. Yeah, that's a really weird fit. I think 
in some ways this injury to DeMarcus Cousins could have a positive end effect for the Lakers and I think what I'm what I mean by that is Anthony Davis is going to play some center now and he doesn't like to play center he doesn't want to play center otherwise JaVale McGee is playing all of the center minutes and that's not going to be a recipe for success obviously the Lakers will end up having some other big man at some point come through the rotation Joakim Noah was another name that was floated around out there I think he'd be a way better chemistry fit than Dwight Howard just because there have been uh, people who've been talking to Joakim Noah in the last couple of years, and he's sort of had this big realization, this uh, acceptance of where he is in his NBA career, what his role is going to be. And Dwight Howard hasn't, by a lot of accounts. So Joakim Noah, everybody who played with him on the Grizzlies this past year, they've raved about what he was doing for the younger guys, what he was doing for the team chemistry. He's a great locker room presence now. That wasn't always the story for him, and that's similar the situation for Dwight Howard. So if Dwight Howard figures it out, playing or playing next to LeBron has a way of helping players figure out some things, whether that would click for Dwight Howard. We've seen the fact, though, that the Lakers haven't gone after Carmelo Anthony. And everyone knows Carmelo and LeBron are their buds. But Carmelo Anthony's a guy who his reputation at this point is still wants still wants to score. His scoring is still really important to him. That's kind of a similar thing for, for Dwight Howard. And I think the Lakers are probably doing a good thing by putting some emphasis on team chemistry. Yeah. I think last year, their idea was, let's get LeBron, let's get a bunch of veterans, everything's going to be fine. We have LeBron. It didn't yeah. work. I mean, Melo, like you said, he's got to accept, if he wants to play again for a team, he's got to accept that he is going to be a role player. He might be a sixth man. He might be a guy playing 12 minutes a game. I think he's still a guy who can help a team who can find buckets when he can get them, you know? Mm -hmm. He's not going to be a guy dropping 20 shots in a game again. Might not be a guy dropping 10 shots regularly, maybe on nights when he's hot. Conversely, Joakim Noah, as you mentioned, is a guy who realized that he's a role player, that he is a guy who is maybe the third center off a bench, the second center off a bench, and that worked for him in Memphis. Like you said, that's, that's the kind of guy they need to bring in here in L.A. Honestly, the thing that they should do is start Anthony Davis at center and LeBron James at power forward. That's where they've had the most success, and that's kind of set them up for what the league is now, how the league is shaped, and it just comes down to attitudes and egos. Um, yeah, I think I think that's probably how they'll finish games. Yeah, I think sure. I think that was going to be the case regardless of whether Demarcus Cousins was healthy this year. I know Cousins and Anthony Davis have played together in the past. That was such an interesting experiment. I was really looking forward to seeing them share the floor for any length of time on the same team this season. So it's really disappointing to to not be able to see that. But coming off a couple of injuries in the last year or two now for DeMarcus Cousins, I don't think he was going to be a finisher for that team, especially as the NBA has evolved. But you look at who the best players are for the Lakers now, and there's really no doubt that Anthony Davis should be the center uh, because you could roll out a team that features LeBron and Kuzma out there at the other wings that's dangerous. That is dangerous. I don't know if there, I mean, the boogie injury didn't affect how Vegas saw this team. I don't see this team as a top four in the West. I think they're going to be battling for that six, seven, eight seed, and that's going to be a disappointment for this team. I think that translates into bad blood, kind of bad vitriol going into the playoffs for this team. But, you know, that's the roster they've got constructed. It's LeBron, it's Anthony Davis, it's Kyle Kuzma. It's Rajon Rondo at the point guard. That's not a recipe for success. We've talked about this in the past. 
I, I don't see it. But Don't count out Danny Green. <laughs> that's true. He's going to be a, a guy who's hit big shots in the past. Maybe a guy who gets a Spurs jersey retirement. I don't know. No. <laughs> I'm handing them out willy-nilly. Today, so. <laughs> yeah, but you bring up an interesting point. If the Lakers do end up in that second half of the uh, the playoff picture, Anthony Davis, I think, was the one who said, we, we nobody can beat us in a seven-game series. If we're all healthy, we're going to win any seven-game series. It doesn't matter where we're seated. I'm really interested to see if that ends up, if we can actually test that theory. Because on paper, they sh- they match up really well with anybody if they're all healthy. Seven games. I don't want to face LeBron James for seven straight games. But they have to get there first. They have to be all healthy. And then you have to figure out who is who are they playing, what's the matchup, and what's home court looking like. This is uh, very far in the future and very much speculation. I see them losing in the first round to Denver. Like, if they face off against Denver, Jokic is going to completely take Anthony Davis out of the equation here, bodying him. Davis doesn't do great on big guys like that. There's going to be some problems, and that's just like one team from the top there. There's going to be some problems for them if they finish in that second tier, the bottom half of the league. Denver, I mean, Utah's another team with Gobert there. There are big men who can take out Davis. I don't know if anyone from these teams can take out LeBron, so you still have that card there. But you've seen success beating LeBron James in the playoffs when you can take away the other superstars. The Spurs did that. The Warriors did that. One of the guys who helped the Warriors do that was um, Draymond Green. He's going to be sticking around in Golden State for a while. Yeah, got that contract extension. Got his money. I like that move for the Warriors. Look, if they don't win another championship with this current core, it's still a success. And I think it makes sense as they make the move from Oakland to San Francisco, opening up a new arena this year. Their fan base probably changes a little bit just in terms of what's local, what's easy to get to. You want to build goodwill Continue to build that with your uh, your fans and what you have going there. Keep that core around. I think there's so much of this talk about loyalty in the NBA, and right now we're on a sw- swing where there's not too much loyalty between players and teams and teams and players. They can keep this core around Curry, Green, and Thompson. It would be really cool to see those guys all retire with the Warriors, even if it means that at the end of that run they're paying those three guys way too much money for a team that's not making deep playoff runs as those guys you know start to age out of super super duper stardom but i'd like to see those three guys stick together just because we don't see it anymore yeah we're in a league right now where you don't see one player stick with a team for more than 10 years um and there's so much player movement it's the year the the era of player empowerment to see three guys kind of make it a for life kind of situation is very cool and i mean there's player factors that play in that. There's team factors that play in that. A lot of times teams don't want to play these aging stars. I mean, it's we've talked a lot about comparing this Warriors dynasty run to the Spurs. It's Spursian to see the, their big three go out together. Of course, Parker, that one year in Charlotte, you might see Thompson go play one year in L.A. or you might see him, Green, kind of get a chance to play somewhere else like that. But, yeah, very cool, and you like to see it. So now let's transition to what's driving us batty. And, Cameron, I'll go ahead and jump in here. Um With the start of every NBA regular season, you also see a brand new shiny NBA 2K game. And NBA 2K20 releases right around the corner. Every year, they add more classic teams to the lineup here. And this year, we're seeing the unveiling of the 2013-2014 beautiful game Spurs. They're going virtual. That's the team that had Duncan. It had Parker, Ginobili, obviously. Kawhi Leonard won finals MVP that year. And then, of course, that deep bench, Boris Diaw, Patty Mills, Tiago Splitter, um... These guys, you're going to see them virtually again, and that's awesome. I'm looking forward to playing with them. I think this should have happened a few years earlier. There's some teams who have gone virtual before them 
that are a little bit of head scratchers. Did people really want to play with the 2013-2014 Indiana Pacers? Were they really looking forward to playing with the 2012-2013 Grizzlies team? Or even the 2005-2006 Grizzlies teams? These are all teams that have been unveiled as 2K classic teams before this 2013 Spurs team. Of course, there are those classic Spurs teams, 99 or 97 Spurs, Duncan's rookie years has been in the game for a while, the 2005 Spurs team that won. Um, something that's very interesting, though, with the way they do these, you can't always get the rights to, to put those players in the virtual game. That's what's driving me batty. I was actually, I actually booted up a, an NBA 2K game to play with those 2005 Spurs uh, this morning. Just to, to, to go down memory lane, you know, remember Tony Parker in his prime, uh, Manu Ginobili with a full head of hair, <laughs> they, they, they had that. So imagine my disappointment when I booted up uh, NBA 2, I think it was 2K18, and the, the 2005 Spurs have seven actual players and the rest are generic players named John Brown who wear <laughs> arm sleeves and headbands and they are like 66 overall and you can't use them. They're all small forwards, oh so gosh. there's not a center on that team. <laughs> so I had to look and go back. Who was on the 2005 Spurs? Uh, Parker, Barry, Bowen, Duncan, and Orrier, the starting five. Because oh you don't have the rights to Rasho Nesterovich, who was the starting, the starting center that year. Uh, and then off the bench, you get Manu and Beno Udrich, and that's it. That's it. Those are your seven. Uh, no Malik Rose, no Nazi Muhammad, Devin Brown, Sean Marks. Those are key guys from that team. Bench guys, because you have all the starters, but you have to do weird things if you're playing NBA 2K. So I'm looking now at this 2014 Spurs team, and I think it'll be a little bit better for Spurs fans to actually have guys who are still in the NBA, so the, the uh, video game still has the rights to them. So if 2013-2014 if Boris Diaw isn't in this game, do you riot? or? <laughs> because he was the he was MVP huge. before Kawhi. To so. me, that's the big draw of this of this virtual team is to you know enjoy Boris Diaw in that role with the Spurs because without him, I don't know what... I don't even know if they have the rights to Tiago Splitter anymore. So yeah. it's, again, it's Tim Duncan. Uh, Aaron Baines might end up being the starting center on that virtual team. I don't know if they have Matt Bonner... Again, they'll have plenty of guys. Parker, Bellinelli, Kawhi, Danny Green, Manu, Patty Mills, Corey Joseph. That's that's good. It's a lot of guards. I don't know if this is going to be a team you can run with, though, in NBA 2K20. That's deeper than the 2005 team, at least. I'm kind of upset that we never saw Sean Marks dressed in yeah. his crazy uniform. Yeah, they never, never got the rights to use him as a player. That means I could never build my all-GM team to run with <laughs> up there. You know, get him, and you get Steve Kerr, who was the GM for the Suns, you know. Oh, well. Um, I just want to end real quick on a big, fun note. Um, for all the regulars who have stuck around to this point in the pod, this is for you. Yesterday, they announced Matrix 4 is coming out. What the name of the Matrix movie is, it's probably going to be like Matrix Resurrection or something like that. This is great news for Spurs fans, and you might not make the connection right off the bat. The Matrix, the first one, groundbreaking, groundbreaking start to a trilogy comes out in 1999. That's the first Spurs championship. Now, Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions were filmed simultaneously, so they came out the same year. That year was 2003, Spurs' second championship. We've got a Spurs championship in the future. They haven't announced a release date for Matrix 4, um, but my guess is probably 2021, 2022, right out there. That's when DeJounte Murray is going to be in his prime. This team's going to be built around him and Derek White and these other young guys they've got, Lonnie Walker. So get ready to look forward to that. Coach Pop is Morpheus. You know, we're in the Matrix now, guys. I, I thought you were making the, the connection between Keanu Reeves and superstar actor Boban Marjanovic. <laughs> 
<laughs> the John Wick's the John Wick franchise. So I thought that's where you were going with that. It all connects. Time is a flat circle here at the Big Fun Podcast. And yeah, thank you guys so much for joining us. We're going to wrap it up there. Cameron, anything you want to shout out here? No, I, I was just looking at some of the other teams in that uh, NBA 2K video game, the 2016 Cavs, the 2014 Clippers, the 2010 Trailblazers, the 2007 Wizards with Gilbert Arenas and Anton Jameson. And oh, the two, boy. <laughs> and the, and the 2003 Suns with Stephon Marbury. So there are some weird selections. I don't think too many people are going to be running with the Spurs. Could be a chance to maybe uh, surprise some people if you're a gamer and uh, jump online with that team. I'll be surprised how they rate that team. It better be a 99. That was revolutionary. And you better rate us a 99 too here at The Big Fun. Wherever you may be listening, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, we are in the podcast universe here. That's it for next time. We'll see you probably when the regular preseason comes around. Maybe FIBA, maybe Team USA takes home the gold medal. We'll see. For Cameron, I'm Jackson. We'll see you next time.